it's not like I'm about to say something that's going to seem kind of odd out there, but uh, I, I really hope that you'll listen over the next few minutes. I think God has a, has a word, and uh, best way I can say it is um, I'm letting the guys kind of finish the offering also, but, you know, you get 30 minutes, and you, you're hoping I'm through by 30 minutes, to wrestle with something that the Holy Spirit has been wrestling with me all week. And uh, and I'm, I'm I'm just praying that God would use today. So uh, I'm just praying that, that uh, you'll just take note and uh, see what God has for us today. We, we have been walking through the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua is a historical book, but I believe that, that as we look at history, we see how God uses history to speak to us today and gives us glimpses of the kingdom as he took the children of Israel out of Egypt and their slavery. And now we, last week, you may remember that we, uh, we uh, entered into the promised land across the Jordan. Then we fought the battle of Jericho last week. And man, great victory, something only God could do. So let me give you a word picture as we go into today. In 2010, for you that still lived here, many of you will remember this. I believe it was Hurricane Hermain that came through. And with uh, the hurricane, what happened was all of Round Rock West, I saw the Hearthcocks, y'all remember this. And uh, over here in Round Rock West, Lake Creek Drive, especially right up from the church, and all over here, Round Rock West area, got flooded. Lake Creek just went over its banks, all flooding all of Round Rock West in that area. And it was crazy in that that happened. And uh, yes, there had been a lot of rain, but man, there had been work on Lake Creek before, and surely it could handle this much water coming through. But what they discovered was is that a portable shed, outdoor shed had broken loose and came and it blocked the bridge there that the lake creek could not flow through so in other words there was something that was blocking the flow lake creek had to go somewhere it could no no longer do its flowing so what it did is it just went out of its banks all into these houses and everything and i'll never forget that the day it happened we grabbed water just to go down here and try to bless the people on uh, at least on lake creek drive that we saw and i remember walking over to the hearthcocks and and just seeing the damage that was done all this water had come but a storage building isn't that crazy yes it can handle all the rain but one thing one thing out of the ordinary blocked it so that all this destruction took place well keep that word picture in mind because what happened to the children of israel after Defeating Jericho last week that we talked about, the walls came down, and man, God did this great work. Today, they're going to go into an area, and they're going to get defeated. This incredible defeat comes, and they're trying to figure out, where did this defeat come from? God had done such a miraculous thing at Jericho. Why did we walk into this defeat? Only to find that there was a storage shed that was blocking God's moving. And we're going to look at this today. So, Joshua chapter 7 Find it. If you don't have your scriptures, it will be on the the the, the screen. But uh, we're going to walk through it. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to we're going to stop all the way through this chapter to look at this. But uh, let's start with uh, Joshua chapter seven, verse one. It says this: But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Keep that in mind, okay? Achan, this guy, had taken something he shouldn't have taken, but it says that God was angry with the whole children of Israel. 
Okay? Verse 2 says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went and spied out Ai. Now, let me just kind of stop here just a second and and, uh, just kind of get to your picture. It's interesting that in verse 1, Joshua just lays out the whole problem. The whole problem is a guy by the name of Achan took something that was called devoted things. We talked about this briefly last week, but let me give you a picture of what devoted things are, okay? When they were coming in to take Jericho, that God had told Joshua that when you go and you circle, remember they circled uh, six times and then on the seventh day they circled seven times, so 13 times around. I think it was an opportunity for grace for the people to repent. They never did that. The walls come down and God had told Joshua, you tell the people to go in and destroy everything because these people's hearts are hardened. They're not going to repent. And what you need to do is destroy everything. However, the gold and the silver and the precious jewel type things, I want you to take. These are devoted. These are set apart for me. These are holy unto me. And I want you to take those things and we're going to put them in the tabernacle. Those are devoted, set apart, holy for God alone. And Achan took something he shouldn't have. And we'll get more to that story in just a minute. But you've got to remember what the devoted things are and what the sin was is that they disobeyed God in the midst of this, and God is angry with all of Israel. Let's cruise on. Verse 3, it says, When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. You see the picture. They thought they could rout the uh, city of Ai just like Jericho. They go up there. They sent spies. They said, man, it's not going to be a big deal, but they get routed. I'm going to make some points throughout the message. And point number one is this. I want you to hear this. God is holy. God is holy. Now, that may seem an odd place to put this in the message. I want you to know God is holy. He is set apart. He is morally pure. He is purposeful pure. He is pure in righteousness. He is pure in all things. Sin cannot dwell in his presence. Many of you remember Isaiah chapter 6. And let me tell you what that what happened. Isaiah had a vision of the throne room of God. God was there. His robe filled the temple. The glory of God was there. There was these flaming angels called cherubim that were flying around. And they were crying out. They were covering their eyes, covering their feet. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there is Isaiah having this vision. And he knows... It being, being in the presence of holiness, he has no chance. It, it's like that uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie where that guy, you know, his face melted. I mean, that, that's what he was waiting to happen, something like that. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he thought he was going to be fried, but God had a different thing for him. But I want you to know, God is holy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the, the, the good old boy. He is God holy. Sin cannot dwell in his presence. Okay, you need to hear that today. We have taken God and we've so minimalized him instead of knowing that the very next breath is dependent on a holy God. That's important because we're going to be talking 
about issues of sin and disobedience. And if you do not see that God is holy, it's not like he's some mean ogre that's willing to squash you. He is holy. Hang on to that. The second thing that I want you to to write down is this, is that we must watch out for times after major victories. We have to be careful after major victories. Here's, Here's what I mean by that. The children of Israel just defeated Jericho. I mean, it was a huge battle. They saw the walls come down on something that it didn't matter how many tens of thousands of soldiers they sent. They could never take down those walls. God had to do it. It was a huge victory. And so what happened was, is that with this victory, there was an overconfidence that came in. And we see by the scriptures here, first of all, it does not say Joshua consulted God at all. He just went back to the man-made way of doing things. Let's send spies in. Let's send spies in to see what we can do. And so we, we, we just see he didn't consult God. He just sent the spies in. Number two is they went to battle and nothing would say to us that they took the ark of God with them. The ark of God always was the presence of God. And they would take that ark into battle with them because it signified that this battle is God's and it's not ours. But Joshua was going into this battle saying it's ours and not God's. And they got routed. We have to be careful after major victories. I love youth camp. Man, the many years that that we spent at youth camp, and I love our students. I love that they come back with with an exuberance. They've been... They've been removed from the stimulus of media for a good portion of the week. Now the Holy Spirit has a chance to come in that stillness and start to work. And that by the time I, I love uh, Friday to be able to come down from my office and, and I was up there and I saw the buses coming in. I just wanted to come see the kids get off. I know they're exhausted and I know they come home tired, but I also know there's a, there's an emotional and a spiritual uh, high that comes from camp and it's and it's incredible and we get a foretaste of it just by their leading us in worship here a little bit but i've got to be honest history has taught me that we need to pray more for them coming back than we did while they were there and this is the reason i have seen more students do things that are so uncharacteristic because the enemy has come in because they think i can do this now because i had this touch from god and just to see him fall we have to be careful. Students, you have to be careful. This is, this is like coming out of surgery into ICU. You have to take serious what God is doing. And we need to pray for these students more now than ever. But all of us, we need to be careful when we've had a victory that we think we're responsible for. Listen, it was a God victory. It was a God victory all week. It was, Jericho was a God victory. But they decided to go on their own confidence. And they got routed. Let's go on with the scriptures. Verse 6. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan... Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have not made, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Here's the next thing I want you to write down. A good leader, a good leader takes responsibility. A good leader takes responsibility. Joshua, broken before God, tears his clothes, comes before the ark, begins to cry out to God. A a good leader is going to take responsibility. A good dad, a good husband is going to take responsibility for his family. A good mom is going to take responsibility. A good employer, good pastor, I mean, they're going to take responsibility for a, a defeat that comes along. And that's what Joshua does. He comes before God. But despite the fact that he has come before God, he begins the blame game. God, why did you let us come across the Jordan? And then he starts to whine. God, they're going to come and they're going to wipe us out. God, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever get in the wine game with God? Oh, God, they're talking about me. God, they're going to do this to me. God, uh, we, we're not going to make it. Oh, God, God, God. We start whining before God. He just showed himself mighty as they crossed the Jordan. The walls of Jericho came down. And now Jordan, uh, now Joshua starts whining. Why did you even bring us across? Why did you do all these miracles? And God is patient with him. And then he finally says this. Joshua, get up. Get up. And he, he's not angry with him. It's like, a, it's like a little punch in the side. It's like, it's like what it says in Hebrews, how father disciplines his child. Get up. It's time for action. It's, time, it's not time to whine. There's a sin you've got to deal with in the camp, Joshua. So you need to get up. But I'm telling you, any good leader is going to take responsibility. Any leader who starts blaming the troops or blaming everybody else instead of taking responsibility himself, I'd be, I'd be concerned about that. But Joshua is a good leader. He comes before the Lord. But God is saying, listen, Joshua, it's time to act. It's not time even to pray. It's time to get to business. It's time to deal with this sin issue that is there. All right, let's go on to verse 13. And so this is what they did. He says, go, consecrate. That means set apart the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had this family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. So you see what happens, okay? We're going to bring together all the children of Israel 
Then we're going to come tribe by tribe. There's 12 tribes. We're going to come tribe by tribe. Then we're going to come clan by clan. Then we're going to come family by family. And out of that family, we're going to come man by man. We're going to narrow this thing down. It's, it's, a, it's a way of casting lots until we find who the one that is walking in disobedience to God is. I've thought about that lots thing. I've jokingly said before that it's more biblical to uh, cast lots than to vote and uh, because we see it in scriptures. But what happens is, is that I think there's two reasons that God did it this way, okay? I think number one, he's saying this, sin is severe and it affects everybody. Everybody is affected by sin. The consequences are there. It's affecting everybody. You need to see the severity of walking on unholiness. And it's going to affect everybody. So they have everybody there. But the second reason I think they did the lots was this. I think it was giving Achan a chance to repent. Just like all the walking around Jericho, I think, was giving the people of Jericho an opportunity to repent, but their hearts were too hardened. I think that Achan... Because of this, can you imagine? This took a long time. And Achan, knowing, maybe his immediate family also knew that he had taken those devoted things, he had buried them in his tent, he knew this, and, and, and yet he never responded. It went through this whole thing. Don't you think when they came to just, it's this tribe, he's thinking, man, they may find this out. His clan, his family, man by man, and then he's picked out? Don't you think that uh, there had to be some twinge of some kind of conviction along the line? It shows how unrepentant his heart was. I want you to know that we see that Achan never repented. He was just sorry he got caught. You ever been there? Truly, there's not a repentant heart. Did you know that God's kindness leads to repentance? He could have just squashed Achan from the very beginning. He said, that's him. But he gave him a chance through his mercy to repent, and he never repented. I wonder sometimes if we're just sorry we got caught. Instead of truly repentant that we've broken the heart of God and we're missing him. Let's read the rest of the story, and then I want to personalize this if I could. Verse 19 gives us the rest of the story. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all they had, to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. And actually, Achan's name means trouble. The valley of trouble. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after that, after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which means to this day... Then, then the Lord 
then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor or the Valley of Trouble ever since. Now, we struggle. I know we struggle. We struggle with the fact that, really, did they have to kill the guy? I mean, did they have to wipe him out? I think it shows the extent of the unrepentant heart of Achan. And God had already shown mercy. And Achan chose to not respond. Over the next couple of minutes, I want to talk to you about sin. Now, that sounds strange. I mean, sin's a churchy word. Sin literally is disobedience to a holy God. It's choosing your way over God's way. That's just the bottom line of it. But I want you to know sin has consequences. And this story is an incredible picture of it. And I want to just for a few minutes talk to you about the consequences of sin, if you'll allow me to do that. And just a couple of thoughts. Number one is this. God will not just excuse sin. He will not just excuse sin. I mean, he could have said, you know, oh, Aiken, man, he's been doing this since he was a kid. You know, let's just, that's just the way Aiken is. You've seen some of this poor parenting, which enables and excuses. Parents, that's terrible parenting. They will take that into adulthood if you do not nip it, as Barney Fice said, nip it in the bud, young. God will not just excuse sin. Oh, that's just the way he's wired. That's just the way he does. God, that's not the way sin works. God is holy. We're talking about something that is unholy, that we're just going to excuse and let, let into the presence of God. No, sin will be dealt with. It will not be excused. It will not just be put aside, that God will not turn a blind eye to it. You know, it could have been, ah, man, just let them whoop AI and it's not that big. No, no, no. God had an eternal destiny and plan. He could not excuse it. There's many people. Let's be honest. There are many people today on our planet that have heard the gospel and they think one day they're going to stand before a holy God hoping that he turned a blind eye to their life. When all along he was intimately involved, loving them to come to him. Sin, God will not excuse it. Second of all, sin has a pattern. Sin has a pattern. Notice in verse 21, Achan says this. He said, I saw, I coveted, and I took. That's the pattern of sin. It's it usually it, it, it's a digression, you know. I saw, I coveted, and I, I took. And uh, you remember this is old as Eve. It says in Genesis that Eve saw the fruit and it was enticing. And so she took it and she not only took it herself, but she gave it to Adam. And so I saw, I took, I, I saw, I coveted, I took. Also in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world nor the things of the earth. The things of the earth are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's the same thing. I saw, I coveted, I wanted it beyond what it could, it was such a craving, and then I took it. And you remember Jesus said, if you lust, that 
go ahead and pluck out your eye. In other words, that thing that is keeping you, and so much of it is just, I saw. And we, we are controlled by what we see, and this is the pattern of sin. I see it, I want it, because it's going to feel this fleshly craving that I have, and then I take it. And then it's like that, that fish going after that bait, that hook, and it just got him. I saw, I coveted, I, I, I saw the lust of the eyes. I wanted it, the lust of the flesh. And then the boastful pride of life said, I take it. Really, think about it this way. Was Achan ever going to be able to pull that gold and silver out and say, hey, guys, look what I got? No. And that's the way sin is. We're trying to cover it all the time. It takes so much energy to cover up sin in our lives. Thinking that nobody knows. Sin has a pattern. Here's a third thought. Sin destroys intimacy with God. Sin destroys intimacy with God. In verse 12, God told the children of Israel, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I will not be with you anymore. Does that mean he's not there? Well, you know, God is everywhere. He is saying, my presence, my fellowship, my intimacy will not be with you anymore if you choose to hang on to this sin. Oh, man, tell me if that's not where we're walking a lot of the time. Yes, God, you're here. But yet your intimacy and and. And hear me on this one. This one scares me. I'm afraid we become so used to not having the intimacy of God. We just keep going with what we're doing. And God told the children of Israel, hey, I'm not going to go with you. He was there, but his intimacy was not there. And and we have to ask ourselves, are there sin issues that we are burying that we hope nobody else knows about but God knows about, and thus our intimacy with Him is non-existent. A couple more, you okay? Next one is this, the consequences. The sin of one affects the entire group. The sin of one affects the entire group. Achan is the one who sinned. The whole children of Israel suffered the defeat. The consequences of the one affects the many. A church, a community, a family. How many families have been destroyed by a sin issue somewhere in the generation that has been embraced by that family and never confessed and dealt with? Children carried out. We see it. The sin of the one affects the whole. Here's the last one I want to give you, the consequence of sin. Because this is hope. You can write this down. Jesus took the whole wrath of sin for man. Jesus took the whole wrath of sin for man. So we can say the consequence of sin was Jesus. Jesus took it all on the cross. 
Ask yourself this question. How many of your sins were in the past? uh, Excuse me. How many of your sins were in the future from Jesus on the cross? All of them were. But let me tell you, he took them on the cross. He took the full wrath of the sin on the cross. In fact, we're saying, but Mark, you're in Joshua chapter 7. Jesus is not even mentioned there. How can you even start there? Well, let me give you some help. In Hosea, there's a prophecy. The, the, Hosea gave a prophecy. Let me kind of give you the story of Hosea. Hosea had a wife by the name of Gomer. Gomer had a problem in that she was a prostitute. But God said, Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer. They get married. Gomer still is attracted to her previous lifestyle. And she keeps leaving from him. And it's a prophetic picture of how God loves us so much that we've prostituted ourselves with the world. But he loves us so much that he comes back for us to get us. It's an incredible picture. And how did he do that? He did that through Jesus. Well, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Valley of Achor. That's what we just talked about. That's where Achan was eventually stoned and buried. They called it the valley of trouble or the valley of Achor. Let me read that again. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Let me tell you the door of hope that came was Jesus on the cross. He was the one who took the full wrath of the sin for us. But let me tell you, you got to go through that open door. He's not going to excuse it. You must go through that open door. What I love about the cross, yesterday, Pam and I went and saw um, our next door neighbor, Giovanni, went and watched him play baseball. And, uh, And so we went over to his game and it... It doesn't take me long to become a fan. Love Giovanni already, sitting with his family, and we're into the game. The game got a little tight, even a t-ball game. Good. I mean, it was a coach pitch game, good night. And uh, but uh, you know, what, you want Giovanni to do well. You want the everything good. Well. And uh, I said, uh, I said, man, we need to get some runs here in this inning, uh, uh, so that we can win the game. We need to get some runs. That's what I said. We need to get some runs. And Pam kind of punches me, and she said, there you go, talking about we. And we're sitting up in the stands, and the we is being played out there on the game, uh, the floor, uh, the baseball field. And uh, what I love about that, though, is this. You know, what Jesus did on the cross, there was a we involved. And it was us. And he did that for us. Now let me get personal. This week, I wrestled with this message. I knew I was going to wrestle with this message because... As I'm thinking through the uh, through the sin of Achan and everything, I, I I was I had some discouragement this week. Okay, it just happens. Did you know the ministry can be discouraging? Often, uh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. No, I'm joking. Um, it it gets discouraging. Now we we did get rid of our skunk this week, so that was the good good news. That was the good news. But that was still that was that was kind of stressful. And uh, the last Sunday, you know, I preached on Jericho, and then Pam and I had pre-marriage counseling and we, between, and then we, and I preached on Jericho again. Man, you know, lay it all on the line. God, this is it. And, you know, we had a good ministry time over Doug and Jacqueline and over our students leaving for camp and this kind of stuff. And, but Pam and I always go to the back door because we love you. We want to we just 
even if we just see you once a week, just to hug you and shake your hand, just say, man, go at it and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Well, uh, um, you know, I'm drained at that point. It's not the best time for counseling. It's not the best time for those kind of things. But somebody kind of lingered around, a couple kind of lingered around, and they said, uh, you know, after everybody kind of left, and I'm tapped out, you know, at this point, and, and they came up and said, oh, Mark, we're just telling you this will be our last Sunday at Central. We're going to go to another church. Now, there comes times when people, God calls people to go other places. I understand that. That just kicked me at that point. I mean, just the timing. I mean, just the, just the whole thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, man. And so I, I, then I walked into some other things during the course of the week, just church-related. And, and uh, at the elder meeting uh, on Wednesday night, I took them just... I, you know, this is the, this is what starts happening at this point when you start getting discouraged. I started listing out all the families that have walked away from Central in the last two years, and and then you start thinking, man, God, this is it's just uncomfortable. And I thought, and then I started thinking, my flesh started creeping up and said, man, that sin of Achan is in our church. Something's blocking the flow of God and His Spirit moving. And maybe it's when we call for prayer and people don't show up. I ought to preach at them, man. Just hit them. Or, or those people that, you know, are takers and not givers, man. That's the people who are blocking the flow. Or, or, or these people over here that are that living in blatant sin or they're disregarding their marriage vows or whatever. Man, maybe that's what it, maybe that's the sin of Achan and we just need are the people that just don't come man that's the sin of Achan maybe we need to block that and and then the Holy Spirit Spirit just hits me and he says Mark he said let me tell you about the sin of Achan he said it's you he said because what you're doing is you're getting your identity and purpose from everything horizontal and not from vertical And I knew it was true. We start letting the things of earth define us instead of the one who created us and loves us. And I knew I was doing that. Now I had to go home and talk to Pam because she catches the wrath when I get discouraged. Not, not, not that I beat her or anything like that. <laughs> But I had to ask her forgiveness because the one who, isn't it amazing how the one who loves us the most on earth, we take out our frustrations the most on. But I knew it was true. I knew I was getting my identity from the horizontal instead of the vertical. And I'll be honest, I'm still working through the repentance of that. I wish I could say, God, just break me open because I guarantee you in this flesh, I'll just do it again. I confess that to you because I know it's true. And I don't like it. I do not ever want to be the sin of Achan that keeps the flow of the Holy Spirit from this place. You know, it's easy to say, well, it's lust or it's just disobedience or it's the number one command 
is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even the first of the Ten Commandments said, have no other gods before me. And you see, if I'm searching for the horizontal to fulfill in me what only the vertical can do, I am blaspheming my God. That's me. You know, I don't know. You can walk out of here. and, and uh, But I do know this. I do know this. The sin of the one affects everybody. Why don't you bow your head with me?